Welcome to the Esnorth Podcast. My name is Philip Kaskarin, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host Dan Byers. How are you, Dan? I'm really good. How are you, Phil? I'm fantastic. Thanks for joining us for another episode where we introduce a new speaker who will be presenting at this year's NS North. In this podcast, we are pleased to have with us speaker Bob Cresson, and he joins us now. How are you, Bob? I'm doing great, Phil. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, as I said. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a lovely time of year now that we're getting really, really close to NS North. It is good to be conference season, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about you and where you're from? Sure, I'd love to. So uh, right now I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is about a one hour's drive south of Denver. Uh, and I've been here since the mid-90s, originally from Wisconsin. So I'm a Midwestern brat. Uh-huh. <laughs> but high up in the mountains now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, slight difference in humidity and altitude. So uh, altitude here is about 6,000 feet, pretty much sea level in Wisconsin, and uh, very dry climate. So what made you come out to Colorado? Yeah, it's actually my first job. Uh, so my background is hardware engineering. So I have two degrees in electrical engineering. And my first job was actually one of my dream jobs, which was a rocket scientist. So I can actually say that I was a rocket scientist for six weeks. It was a glorious six weeks for uh, for Lockheed Martin. And so that was uh, what brought me to Colorado was uh, starting my career there. All I'll need to do now is to be a neurosurgeon and you'll have all the bases covered. <laughs> exactly. Check that box. Maybe that career would last longer than six weeks. <laughs> so you came out there for your first job and then uh, I guess things were, were you always in the hardware side of things yeah yeah I always have been uh, I did want to be uh, into uh, aeronautics and rocketry but uh, the job just was a horrible fit and it actually turned out that another dream job of mine was to work for Hewlett Packard uh, and so this was mid 90s and I actually got that chance so after six weeks uh, HP called me up and I started a 10 plus year career there as an analog Uh, and digital IC design engineer working on their oscilloscopes, which was awesome. It was a fantastic experience. And I, I have some HP hardware at home, and it from that era and, and way before, it's built like tanks. It's really awesome. Yes, HP was known for its reliability back then, so it was a it was a great place to learn hardware engineering. Just a great team of guys. And then, uh, so after that 10 year stint, which is like huge, that that's a long, long time to spend there. Um, considering, you know, compared to what, how, how long you spend at today's companies as an employee, yep. I guess. Um, so what, what made you uh, break away from HP? Yeah. So a couple things. I was HP and then it transitioned into Agilent. Uh, oh. and you know, I, I loved the job, but it was one of those things where a combination of, of life and job happened. Um, so after that, uh, the company transitioned a little bit. I saw a good number of my friends uh, get laid off just because of downtimes. Uh, and after seeing about 70% of my department get laid off, I started thinking, you know, I could either sit here and wait here and, and potentially turn off the lights, or I could do another thing that I've always kind of dreamed of doing. You guys might get by now, I'm kind of a lucky guy. I've been able to work on a lot of things that I really get passionate about and love. And one of them was to always start a company. I've always wanted to do that. Uh, and in the early 2000s, uh, there was plenty of opportunity in the technology space Uh, especially on the, the web front, so web app development, something I had never done before and uh, was really hoping to buy my time uh, before doing some uh, mobile hardware engineering. At the time, there was just no great devices there, but I knew that I needed to learn the web. So a uh, combination of things, you know, one was seeing my friends uh, kind of leave, which was a bummer. So I was like a little bit of a kick in the pants uh, and then life as well. So uh, my son came down with a chronic disease. He was a young guy. And that kind of said, uh, you know, I think it's time, you know, it's time to start doing something new. It's time for a, you know, a fresh change. And so it's kind of a combination of those two things that, that kicked me out the door and I decided to leave and, uh, and start KST. Ah, very good. And so what, so what's, yeah, what's KST? 
Yeah, so uh, KST is now an 11-year-old company, which is awesome. 11 years April uh, this month, which is fantastic. Uh, and Congratulations. Special- yeah, thanks. It's been an, ex- it's been an awesome ride. Uh, uh, we specialize in uh, really the interface between mobile applications and mobile hardware. Uh, so on staff, we've got seven of us, uh, and we've got dedicated full-time engineers uh, that specialize in everything related to that interface. So we've got dedicated iOS engineer, dedicated Android engineer, embedded systems developer, hardware engineer, uh, business manager. And so we've we've slowly grown our team from uh, just me and my partner uh, uh, to eventually just me and then uh, building back up to an employee base. And so uh, there's seven of us now, uh, all technologists, and uh, we're having a blast. Um, most of our work is client-related. Uh, we are traditionally a 100% client um, shop, so we do apps and hardware uh, for other companies. Uh, but with all the exciting announcements related to iBeacon, we saw, you know, finally the ability for us to get into a standard product space. So uh, we developed some iBeacon technology uh, in August, and uh, we've been shipping now in production volume since November, which is exciting. So we now have a mix of our own products as well as products that we build for our clients. You can totally see the HP influence there because HP is, was for a long time was a very engineering driven company and I'm sure that's what you're striving for. Yeah, extremely. And you know, I love that environment. You know, I, I hated that about leaving Agilent. You know, that was such a great group of guys. You know, great topics at the lunch table, you know, really strong technical depth. And uh, I'm kind of trying to create a little mini environment uh, of a small business that kind of replicates what I miss in those days. It is just fantastic to be able to do design reviews with engineers again. You know, when you're a one-man show, that's awesome, and there's a lot you can do. And, you know, I did that for years. But to be able to get in front of a whiteboard and draw a state machine for how this is going to communicate with a web service or or how this piece of hardware is going to transact with iOS, uh, and to be able to have other engineers critique me and say, there's a better way, or have you thought about this, or here's a, a more efficient way to deal with this exception, uh, it's just great. So we do have a, a little mini environment there that uh, that's just fantastic. It repeats a little bit of, I think, what was best about HP. Working with smart people certainly has a lot of advantages. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just great to be able to to get in front of a crowd of your own engineers and, and get your stuff picked apart. I mean, you, you know, we want our stuff to be you know 100% reliable and stable, and you just need a lot of minds looking at it. And uh, when there's hardware, firmware, and software, and web involved, you know, that's just a lot of interfaces, and there's a lot of opportunities to mess up. Uh, and so it's great to have a, a room full of smart people that can come alongside you and, and help you succeed. So it's it's a really fun environment. I'm really, really satisfied and pleased with, with where we've come in the last 11 years. So um, the very first time that we actually connected um, probably was so long ago and for such a brief amount of time that you can't remember too much. But it was back at 360 in Denver, but like maybe three or four years ago. And I recall you guys getting heavily into the space of uh, Bluetooth peripherals. Mm-hmm. And and now, you, you know, you, uh, you guys have, are, are either transitioning or are completely moved over to um, working with uh, with iBeacons. And like, it's such a such a hot new space with, uh, with so much potential. Yeah. The, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, mean, I can't remember what year we met, Dan, but it was 2009 that iPhone OS 3.0 came out. And that was the first major shift to hardware. And so we applied for Apple's Made for iPod program. And we've developed uh, classic Bluetooth and uh, 30 pin and now lightning based accessories. Uh, and that is a really exciting space. But when BLE was announced on iPhone 4S, uh, it just, that was, that was another one of those kind of key moments in the, in the life of your company. 
uh, iPhone OS 3.0 was was big, 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 big for us. The the iOS SDK coming out, which you know Steve teased us and you know said he would never give it to us, but he did. Uh, <laughs> that was you know one of those kingpin type moments, and uh, BLE was another one of those for the 4S. So, and BLE of course is Bluetooth Low Energy. Yeah, that's exactly right, and, and a, a spec that was ratified uh, back in 2010. Uh, but we really didn't see any uh, movement in the mobile space until the iPhone 4S. That was really the forerunner for for bringing Bluetooth Low Energy uh, to iOS. And you know, with it, uh, it shed the requirement for a made for iPod, and that got a lot of people excited about uh, doing uh, Bluetooth accessories. If you're building an an, an accessory uh, that's Bluetooth regular stack, you have to go through the made for iPod program, which means that there's lots of, of rules and regulations and kickbacks and things like that that have to be worked through. Whereas BLE is just, it is, you make the device and there's no need to and to have Apple as a middleman. That's correct. And, you know, you pay a little bit of a price for that, Phil. You know, you, you do lose the bandwidth. You know, Bluetooth energy is, is yes. not as fast from a, a data standpoint. You gain a lot in terms of power. So it's about a tenth of the power as a classic Bluetooth device. Wow. So there's a lot of coin cell battery devices that are out there that have become uh, real popular. But the lack of an MFI hurdle uh, really brings in a lot of great applications. For instance, you know, sensor applications, things that you don't really need a full classic Bluetooth connection for but are just ideally suited for Bluetooth energy. So we were so excited when we saw Beely, and then we found out that it was not part of MFI, and we could just immediately start manufacturing uh, product. Uh, that's when things really started to get hot for us. Yeah. And would, would you say that Apple's uh, iBeacon spec and or, you know, the how to be certified with iBeacons, like, was that a, like, significantly easier than the MFI stuff? Or, like, how did that all kind of compare yeah, it was actually substantially easier, but it could be because we were one of, I think, one of the first companies to apply for MFI. When, when Steve announced it on stage, we we literally were hitting the web like that moment <laughs> trying to get in because that, that was like the ideal for us as a bunch of Harbor guys with mobile experience. So it took us about four months to get the original MFI uh, process approved, which you know, four months uh, is, a, is a good amount of calendar time. Uh, for iBeacon licensing, uh, when we applied, uh, it only took us about two weeks. Um, you know, we, we have a very good relationship, uh, with parts of Apple and Cupertino. And so we were actually personally invited, Hey, you guys are part of MFI. We know that you are interested in iBeacon and, you know, we see you have some prototypes out there. Uh, would you like to be part of the program? So it was a little bit different because we had already uh, now had you know, four or five years of established relationship with, with Apple and we knew MFI and we were familiar with kind of the Apple way of doing hardware. So I think that helped lower lower the hurdle for us. So uh, it was really quite easy to get uh, into the program, just a matter of weeks. Now, now you mentioned you mentioned you had a, you have an Android en uh, engineer on staff at, at least. Uh, so do you think that there's something in the uh, iBeacons uh, that works on uh, other devices other than iOS? Yeah, and that's really the beauty of, of Bluetooth and, and Apple's implementation. Since Bluetooth is a, an open standard, uh, iBeacon uh, works just like any other Bluetooth low energy device. And so uh, you do not actually connect an iBeacon to an, a phone. You just listen for its advertisements, its connectionless advertisements. And so because it's BLE and because it conforms to the BLE spec, uh, if you have an Android device, uh, you can listen for those advertisements as well. So we actually have an iOS app and a complementary Android app and both can listen to the exact same iBeacon at the exact same time. So you know, the beauty is that it is just Bluetooth energy, and there is a protocol that, that Apple has specified uh, that optimizes the experience on their platform. Uh, but it is just Bluetooth energy. So I can see iBeacons on my Mac, for instance, 
Um, we're dabbling a little bit with Windows, uh, and uh, we've dabbled a lot with Android and, and have released apps with it, but um, it is just Bluetooth at its core, and so it is visible on a variety of devices. Right, and of course on Windows it probably means that you have to have the hardware inside the machines, right? Because on, on all the Mac laptops, they now have Bluetooth built in, so it's easy, but not all the Windows laptops would have it, I think. That's correct. Yeah, a lot of the new ones are, and there are uh, very easy, uh, inexpensive dongles. And so there are little uh, Bluetooth Energy dongles that you can buy that uh, have great driver support. But if you get something like a Microsoft Surface uh, that brought Bluetooth Energy uh, into the Microsoft platform, and there are nice. Nokia uh, phones uh, that have Bluetooth Energy chipsets in it as well. So it's starting to become something that is a standard in the mobile and desktop industry, which is exciting for us. I have a feeling we could talk about Bluetooth and related technologies for a long time. So, but uh, maybe we should uh, talk more a little or a little bit about your work in the iOS and Mac community. Yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, Colorado is actually surprisingly strong uh, in iOS, which is exciting. I mean, we we've got uh, great technology companies and conferences all up and down the Front Range, and we talked about 360. Uh, earlier, you know, fantastic conference. You know, really brings you know a global presence. You know, right here to Colorado, uh, and so there's lots of opportunities for us to participate in that. So, you know, one good example is iOS Dev Camp Colorado. Uh, we see that rotate between Boulder and Denver and Carl Springs, and we've got oh, one wow. coming up uh, here really soon. And uh, there's a CocoConf stuff from time to time as well. Yep, that's exactly right. So between CocoConf and iOS Dev Camp Colorado, we've been able to to really get into uh, that community. Um, iBeacon hackathons are now becoming a thing, which is exciting. Oh, wow. So uh, <laughs> we were in San Francisco last month, and you know, Qualcomm and Estimote and Contact, you know, all the big guys, Radius, you know, all these big Beacon guys were there, and it was so cool. You know, we were able to bring in Particle and uh, donate a few to the Hackfest and and see what people are doing with it. Um, there's Europe's first iBeacon Hackfest occurring later this week in the UK. And so uh, there are 12 particles that are sitting there uh, waiting to get hacked on uh, this weekend in the UK, which is exciting. So you know, we've, we've done the best we can to, uh, to participate in the community uh, in the niche that we're in. Hardware and interfacing hardware with iOS is fairly unique. Uh, and so whenever we go to these events, we'd love to share our expertise and, and what we've learned and how best to interact with the hardware and key questions to ask, you know, all the great stuff that we're going to talk about uh, at NS North, which is coming up so fast. So um, uh, we're excited to bring all that knowledge there too and, and interact with people and, and see why they're excited about, about iBeacon as well. And I guess you've, you know, Phil through second comp, is that right? Yes, we actually met at Second Conf, and I I don't remember. I actually talked every year at Second Conf, which yes, is crazy. Yes, and I was crazy. there for I was there for two of them, so I've met you twice. <laughs> awesome. So, so I can't remember what I subjected poor Phil to, but uh, oh no, but the, it's usually the, a hardware talk. Yes, the, the I remember the first one. It was about the um, uh, there were greenhouses that were, that had uh, hardware control, so that you could control their um, irrigation systems. Oh, yes, cool. exactly. I've that had was so awesome. A greenhouse. Very cool to be able to walk into a greenhouse on an iPad and control its entire irrigation system. Just, you know, an amazing use of iOS and mobile technology. Cool I stuff. remember you talking about how you got that approved through the App Store. Yes, <laughs> like, that was exciting. You can't to have a greenhouse to test on when you're in Cupertino. <laughs> right, yeah, it makes sense. Jeez. Yeah, we've, we've learned the best way to interact with Cupertino and, and videos. For anyone listening out there, if you ever have hardware, uh, I'd strongly suggest uh, shooting a video and just including that as like a Dropbox link when you do your app submission. That goes a long way uh, when Apple can confirm that your description matches exactly what it can do. Much cheaper than shipping the entire greenhouse, for sure. Oh, that's a smart <laughs> idea. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah, and the second year ball you talked about it was uh, last fall, which is uh, uh, the uh, the final second conf, and uh, you talked about uh, iBeacon, and you had a very interesting talk about it, and you you had people hack on the iBeacons and and came up come up with suggestions, and I actually had one which was um, one thing that was big at uh, at second conf was bacon. I mean, I mean, NS North, we have poutine, so if you're into poutine, you'll you'll have that. Yes. But um, we ha we had that last year, it was a big success. Uh, so, uh, but second conf had bacon because hey, it's Chicago. Why wouldn't have bacon? So. Um, <laughs> So, so uh, I made an app that uh, detected the uh, the beacons that uh, Bob uh, had around, and uh, it, when you got near them, it said that there was bacon there. So that was my app. It was called <laughs> iBacon. And yes. I, as I was walking, the hotel is about four blocks from the conference. So uh, in the morning, I had hacked on my my app uh, the night before after drinking, which is not usually a good thing. But anyway. <laughs> Or so, the best so thing it was do, not Phil. a very good app, but it was it, it it worked. It detected something. I mean, it seemed to work, and I hadn't really tested it because I didn't have any uh, beacons with me. But as I was walking, I was looking at my iPhone, and and my app comes up saying there's bacon here. I'm like midway <laughs> to the thing. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Why would my app come up here in the middle of nowhere? I thought Blue Low Energy was like low range, and this conference center is like the 30th floor of the Willis Tower or the Sears Tower, as I'm told it's supposed to be called. Um, so. So that doesn't work. Bluetooth is not that powerful. Then I, I as I'm stopped, I realized that a guy pa walks past me really fast and carrying a big backpack, and it was Bob. And you had plenty of beacons. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you so had I, triggered my app just by walking next to me. Yeah, I learned that day to carry bacon with me in case I see you know Phil because you know if Phil gets a notification, he's expecting to be fed bacon. But exactly, um, you you did passbook, didn't you, Phil? Is that what you did with that? I, yes, that's what I did. Yes, it was. Yeah, so, a, it, it was a pass that uh, that uh, activated when it was close to a, a, um, a one of your beacons, and it was uh, called a bacon pass, basically. Yes, which was perfect, and it's one of the really cool applications of, of Bluetooth energy and iBeacons as well, because of course, Passbook does not necessarily require an app. Uh, and exactly. So, you know, you can put that up, and yeah, you get close to Crescent, and bacon's here. So it's pretty <laughs> cool that you can do that uh, without an app. And you know, the the other moral of that story is. Um, when you use an iBeacon, make sure that it has unique iBeacon parameters. <laughs> so in the early days, I think they were all, you know, single UUID, major ID one, minor ID one. And yeah. if you've got 5,000 of those, uh, you know, Apple does not distinguish between different pieces of hardware. And just there the will iBeacon be bacon parameters. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how it should be, Phil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so when you're not hacking uh hacking away to your hardware what do, what do you like to do uh outside of development or design what are your yeah. interests there yeah so i was listening to dave smith's uh podcast and uh and kind of chuckling because he said his uh one of his big hobbies was his kids and i i chuckled because i could totally relate so uh i've got uh <clears throat> two really young kids at home and so uh, when I'm not uh, working on hardware or working on iOS or, or trying to run KST, uh, you know, my, my wife and my two kids are, are a huge hobby of mine. And, you know, they're old enough now that I'm able to fold some of my interests into them, which is really fantastic. So here in Carl Springs, uh, we've got just fantastic hiking trails everywhere and just beautiful, oh, gorgeous yeah. scenery. And so my kids love being outside. So, you know, this last weekend, you know, we, we started up our Saturday morning hikes again, which is something that we started last year. And, you know, they're old enough now they can go for a few hours and we can get some elevation and 
you pack a lunch and you spend the morning out in the mountains and uh, it's fantastic. So uh, the kids and my wife take up the you know, majority of, of any free time I seem to have, but uh, <laughs> hiking uh, is fantastic. And uh, uh, we do that here in Carl Springs. Uh, and then I'm a Formula One junkie. Uh, and so. Uh, oh, we're, so we're, am I actually. <laughs> All right. Interesting. So it's, it's been an exciting season so far. And so uh, <laughs> yes. I've kind of uh, uh, given my children the religion on uh, F1 and <laughs> you know, World Rally has kind of died down and Formula One has kind of taken its its lead. So uh, we watch uh, Formula One on, on weekends and we I don't know if you're like me, Phil, but it's every practice every yes. quality session, every race. Uh, we enjoy every minute of Formula One. So, uh, Especially that, since they've changed the qualifying uh, format. It's been so much better now. So, Oh, it's so exciting. It's It's been years, and it's a great excuse to talk to the kids about engineering principles. You know, We can talk about oh, yeah. downforce and what does it mean to do oversteer and understeer. And you know, we, we get some physics lessons in there. Why do I care about tire temperature? Anyway, uh, it's, <laughs> it's great great to have those conversations with your seven-year-old, you know. Uh, but uh, it's it's been great. So, so we're Formula One junkies. Uh, and then when I need to think about something more technical, but not iOS, uh, like I said, my son was diagnosed at 21 months with type 1 diabetes. And so uh, oh. one of the things that really thrills me about mobile is the potential that mobile has to impact the medical field. It's something that KST is, is not involved in. I don't have a degree uh, in medicine. Uh, thinking of going for a biomedical engineering degree uh, because that would allow me to really play in the space. But there is some just incredibly exciting uh, extension of research happening in near-infrared spectroscopy uh, related to uh, non-invasive blood sugar monitoring, which you know totally different than what we do at KST, but something where you can apply engineering discipline and mobile devices and sensors and wireless uh, in a very unique way. So wow. uh, if I want to think about something very technical that has nothing to do with iOS, I'm usually reading articles and trying to understand what the latest research is uh, in how to uh, really predict where blood sugar is going, which is something that we think about just constantly uh, having this little guy in our house. So uh, Absolutely. that's that's something that I, I spend a lot of time doing as well. So it's, it's funny what motivates us, right? You know, you, you never think that you'd ever be looking at this kind of stuff, but then boom, this happens. And then all of a sudden, like part of your life has changed. Yes, exactly. And, you know, we meet people in the diabetic community and uh, you know, they have a very similar response. Like, wow, you know, now we want to tackle this thing. And so, yeah. you know, we want to understand it and we want to predict it and, and uh, give our kids the best quality and, and quantity of life as we possibly can. Uh, and so, you know, now that that's in our household and, and in our household for life, uh, there's no cure. You know, it's something that, that really drives me to, to understand uh, predictive algorithms. You know, this is all stuff that's deeply technical and I may not be a medical guy, but I understand how control systems work and, and it's fun to think about how to apply that to a completely different problem. So who knows, you know, hopefully I can contribute in some small way to, to diabetic research along the way as well. That's awesome. No, whenever you said that, you know, your kids are old enough now that you've, you're, you're, you're able to integrate some of your own work into, you know, working with them. I, I was kind of worried that you were going to say that you implanted some beacons into their, under their skin or something. And, you know, that's how you're tracking their whereabouts. But well, no, well, this, this is good. This is don't good. tell, don't tell them that, but we actually have done that, Dan. <laughs> I'll never find it. <laughs> well, we're in such a unique era, you know, the clash between mobile devices and hardware uh, is such an exciting space. You know, 10 years ago, we would not have dreamed of having access to a basic you know, piece of accelerometer technology. 
uh, that I can buy in such low quantities uh, with such fantastic performance. You know, we, we didn't have that 10 years ago. And no. what mobile has done is it has brought all this wave of sensor technology and it's made it incredibly good and it's made it incredibly inexpensive to the point where uh, one of the things I've been playing around with is Fitbit. So if I grab a Fitbit and I put it on my son, I can actually use that as a way to track his activity. And we have found uh -huh. loose first order correlations between that and his blood sugar. It just makes sense. You know, the more active he is, the lower it pushes his blood sugar. You know, I can do that because sensor technology has come down in price and has gotten fantastic. And so it's exciting to see uh, things like that get getting driven by the mobile industry uh, and really impact in ways that, you know, Steve, I'm, I'm sure couldn't even really imagine, but it's starting to happen now. And so uh, I think we're in an incredibly exciting time. We can innovate in ways we, we've not been able to innovate in before. Very well said. Ah, that's fantastic. So, so, all right. So that should be a wrap. Thank you very much for joining us, Bob. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thanks for your time, Phil. I really appreciate it. Dan, great talking to you. And I look forward to seeing you guys up at NS North. Likewise, man. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks for your time, guys. We hope that our listeners enjoyed this episode. If you would like to know more about the conference, you can visit our website at nsnorth.ca for all the details. Unfortunately, the conference is sold out, but you can still get all the details about our conference at the website. Bob, what's the best way for someone to reach you online? Yeah, so Twitter is probably where I'm most active. So my Twitter handle is at MacISV, M-A-C-I-S-V. And my company is KS Technologies. And so we also have a Twitter account at KS Technologies. So uh, Twitter is probably the best way to reach out to me. Great. We hope to see everyone in Ottawa in May. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate your time. See you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>